Good morning, church. How are we all doing this morning? Isn't that fun? Great to celebrate. Great to have baptisms together. We're excited about that. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, take them and turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. After you've done that, turn to someone near you and say, I am so glad you're here today. Do that, would you? I am so glad you're here today. Yeah. Well, I was doing some math earlier today. I was trying to decide what year I got my license in. It turned out it was 1983. I just turned 16. Actually, I think it might have been right at the beginning of 84. I just turned 16. You got to wait a month in Indiana. I went up, got my license, and I um, started taking the family car out. And uh, we had, there were some really cool Novas this wasn't one of them. This was a four-door Nova, and it was, it was kind of a dog. It just wasn't a great Nova, but that's uh, the only thing I could drive, and I borrowed it from my mom and dad. And so I was driving a little bit, and I couldn't wait to get my first car. You know, it was just, I, it was a big deal back then. You had your own car, and so about a month later, I uh, found, oh, what a nice car. Ugh, beautiful. 1974 Volkswagen Rabbit. Whoo! Kind of a faded green color. I'm not going to tell you the color green, but it was ugly green. And my dad negotiated a deal. I think I got it for 475 bucks, I think. Got the thing, had a few problems with it. There was a rust hole in the hood about that big around. That is not a joke. Right through the top of the hood. Uh, and, um, but my dad had some fiberglass Bondo stuff that we used around the farm. And I, man, I did that stuff, sanded it down, got some green paint that looked close enough and painted it. And, Looked pretty good. Uh, rims completely rusted over, but I got a wire brush and I went around on that thing and painted them uh, kind of a gray color. Woohoo! That was a cool car. Uh, that car had so many holes in it. I didn't know it, but when I was driving down, if I'd go through a mud puddle, this is not a joke, my feet would get wet because there were so many holes in it. And so I took some tin signs my dad had and pounded them down on there and, and then I pop riveted it into place and that <laughs> was a good car. It was a nice car. Wish I still had the car because frankly, I, I like the gas mileage. Uh, but I uh, drove it for about six months and you know what it is when you first get a car, man, it was everything I could do just to pay the the payment for the thing. I paid it off right away. And then I, I borrowed enough money from my mom and dad to pay for the first six months insurance. And I paid them right back as soon as I got enough money. And then that summer, I got a full-time job. I worked in a factory, made three thirty-five an hour. <laughs> so I was, my take home was right around, I think 130 bucks with overtime. And and it was just into the, the summer and my muffler was bad on that car and turned out the whole pipe had to replace 160 bucks. Oh, man, I don't have this much money. I borrowed money from mom and dad again and paid them back within a few weeks when I got my paycheck. And now I had a car worth having. And I was driving down the road, long story to it, but I was driving down the road and something hit and the front end just collapsed onto the ground. The tires went whoop like that, you know, and the frame had busted. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I got out and called the tow truck, which was my brother-in-law with our Ford tractor. And he came uptown and he drug us home. And I remember kicking that thing. And I wasn't yet a believer, I don't think. So I might've said a few words I probably shouldn't have said. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is, and I decided right then and there, that's done for this car. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with this car. I went and bought 
a Camaro. I bought a 1974 Camaro. Much better car. It was a much better car. But I thought to myself, this car is worthless. It's not worth putting any more in it. I put more in it since I've owned it than the stupid car cost. You ever done that with something? Just, man, it's just not worth the investment. And sometimes in faith, people come to a point where they're like, it's just not worth it anymore. The guy we're going to look at today, his name is Asaph. Asaph was one of the three chief musicians that David appointed. He was actually the chief among the chief musicians. So you would call him the head worship leader in Israel. Now, Pastor Ann last week, she dissected what would be a relative of Asaph, the Asaphites. But Asaph was a contemporary of David. He was a man who was, his job was to get close to God. And his job was to help others get close to God. And in chapter 73, verse 1 and 2, we see that this guy, whose job was to be close to God, almost came to a point where he chucked it all. Here's what it says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I almost went over a spiritual cliff, Pastor Phil paraphrased. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from all the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. And they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. And here is what happens when you begin to focus on the wrong things long enough. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, in other words, had I said this out loud, I would have betrayed your children. Now stop there for a moment because Asaph has a vision problem. About a month, month and a half ago, I was reading through Psalm 73 and I like to meditate on it. And I was just, I've been reading through the Psalms all summer and just kind of taking three or four a day. And as I was reading through this Psalm, it struck me that Asaph had, had a vision problem. He had some problems with his eyesight. And the more I dwelt on it, the more I realized that it's a, it's a spiritual eyesight problem. The, the first one that I see is, is that he has spiritual myopia. Myopia, or as most of us know it, it's nearsightedness. 
short-sightedness. In other words, I can see the things that are right here, but I can't see the things that are out there. I have (laughs) struggled with myopia since I was in second grade, third grade. These have been a permanent fixture in my life until I discovered soft contact lenses when I was about 42, 43. And oh, by the time I got those, I realized I had another problem, which was uh, I need bifocals. And so uh, if I wear my contact lenses today, I can see way out there, but I can't see anything on my dashboard, which means I'm pretty much driving by feel. And so I have progressive lenses, but I have a nearsighted problem. In fact, if I take these things off, I don't know who a single one of you are. I see blurs. That's all I see, Paul. (laughs) I know you're there because I see your hat and you told me, but I talked to you earlier. But I can't see anybody because I am so absolutely needed this vision correction. Now, the problem with spiritual myopia is that I can see things that are right here, but I can't see anything that's out there. And notice what he does in this passage. He he says... um, the wicked have everything going for them. I, I filled in your, your blanks there. They've got all the bucks, right? I envied the arrogant because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And, and, and I'm kind of like the, I'm not really, but it's like the country singer, what's his name? Chris Jansen, I think his name is. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat, <laughs> and it can buy me a truck to pull the boat, and it can buy me a Yeti 110 filled with, uh, Diet Coke, I'm pretty sure that's what he said he could fill it with, right? And so I, I, can, I can get all kinds of things that bring happiness. And when I see the wicked, man, they got all the bucks. They've got it easy. Verse 4 says they don't have any struggles. They're not human. They don't, they don't have any of the, verse 4 says their bodies are healthy and strong. Sorry, they're horse, healthy as a horse. They're not human. Verse 5 says they are free from the burdens common to man. Their money really does grow on trees, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. They don't have any worries, verse 12. Uh, They are always carefree. In fact, if you read the context of this whole thing, verse 6 through 11, they get away with everything. There is no consequences. Why would I follow the Lord when they've got everything going for them. Um, When our children were small, kind of the dream was to go to Disneyland, right? Or Disney World. And that's a big thing for kids. I will tell you, my family actually preferred, because they went to Cedar Point a lot. Once we went there, we realized how good Cedar Point was because we liked the roller coasters. But when our kids were real small, if you'd have offered to go to Disney World, that would have been like the best thing in the world. And so uh, if we're going to do yard work, if I'd have said, hey guys, if you help me with the yard work, I'll, I'll take you to Disney World. They would have, that would have been the greatest thing in the world. But what if when they were little, I would have said to them, hey guys, if you help me around the house and do some of the chores, I will either take you to Disney or I will pay for your college education. (laughs) What would they have chosen? Disney, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because for them, they would have had no concept of the cost of college. And by the way, neither did we. (laughs) But yeah, we're kidding around. We're getting around the home plate there. But the fact is, is that they had no sense 
of, of value on those types of things. And a lot of times when we're struggling with spiritual myopia, the only thing we can see is the here and the now, and we really have no sense of what is yet to come. Spiritual myopia. Number two, we can struggle with spiritual cataracts. Notice what he says if we get down into a few verses later. Verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was grieved and I was bitter, and the bitterness was actually toward the Lord. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you're married, you ever been, have you ever acted like a jerk to your spouse? Or you've acted like a jerk to your kids because you're close to them, right? And you're close to them and you were in a bad mood and because you were in a bad mood or because something else was going on in life, you kind of took it out on them. What's interesting is that Asaph was saying that I was, I was grieved in my spirit when I saw this stuff. And frankly, I was bitter toward you, God, and I acted like a brute beast. Why? Well, because I couldn't see what God was really doing. Cataracts is this condition, and I don't know it all. I mean, I've, a lot of people have dealt with it. My parents both have had cataract surgery. But I remember this. It's kind of progressively to a point where you still have vision, but it's like your vision gets cloudy. They got to go in. They got to take that out. They put a new lens in there. And it's kind of crazy how that whole thing works. But when my dad had cataract surgery years and years ago, I remember he went down to Gross Nichols. Probably the first time my dad had ever had a surgery of any sort. Never had been in the doctor's office or had never gone to a hospital that I can think of. But he went down to Gross Nichols Eye Center down in Warsaw, Indiana. And I remember he had that surgery done. And within a day, everything was better. And, and they did just his one eye. I don't, I don't remember which eye they did first. But they did his one eye. And I remember when I asked my dad about it, I said, hey, dad, can you see any better? He goes, oh, my goodness, Phil, there are signs on the road I didn't even know were there. <laughs> I go, whoa. I asked him at another time, I said, hey, dad, he goes, my vision is so good, I feel like I can see right through people's clothes. I said, wow, that's a scary thought, dad. And sometimes we can only see what's there, but we see it very cloudy. In fact, it's interesting what Scripture says in, in the Message Bible, and I love this passage, Proverbs 29, 18. Look it up. Proverbs 29, 18 says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. It's like I can't see what God's doing. By the way, one of the reasons that we have more and more tried to bring testimonies and celebrations into the worship service is because we want our congregation to see what God is doing. Because sometimes you get so cloudy and you get so frustrated by things that you don't see all that God is doing in people's lives. And it's important for people to see that. Let me give you the third condition. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. It's spiritual macular degeneration. 
Mom's struggling a little bit with this, but it's not too far. But I've, we've had long, long time friends where she, ever since she was about 45, it's got progressively worse. And macular degeneration is essentially this. You can't see what's right in front of you. You can see peripherally. You can see the things out here, but you can't see slowly what's in front of you disappears. And all of these are problems because what's interesting is what we focus in on, what we see tends to develop our attitude. It tends to be what we dwell on. So look what happens. He starts to formulate some really dangerous ideas. He says in verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued and I've been punished every morning. And I don't know, maybe you're there today. Maybe you feel this way. You ever do this where you look around and you see, and it doesn't even have to be, it could be other churches, it could be other pastors. I, I do that. I'm like, man, it just seems like everything they touch is working. Or, or you watch media and you're like, man, it's like they don't even have to try and they've got all of it going for them. Any of you watch or hear anything about the Johnny Depp, I think it's Amber Heard, that whole trial? Be honest, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It's okay. I didn't watch any of it, but I will tell you what, by the number of hands that are here that went up, people aren't telling me the full story because I'm telling you, I heard it a lot. People were talking about it everywhere. This whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing, and I, I actually caught it when they were going to reveal the answer to the case. I was driving back from Texas with a buddy of mine. We had like five hours on the road. It was so entertaining. I, I heard the whole story and you know what I discovered? They're nuts. <laughs> I know Johnny, presumably, you know, Johnny, that guy, the guy who does the crazy Pirates of the Caribbean thing, you know, and he's always kind of doing this and he may be a genius, but he's crazy too. They're, they're both just, my word. And, but Asaph said, you know what? I began to focus on all this stuff and it was leading me to a point where I thought my faith just isn't worth it. Until. Go to verse 16. I love this. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. What's the sanctuary? It's the place of presence and it's the place of praise. I praise God in the sanctuary. I experienced the presence of God in the sanctuary. And he said, and when I made a step toward God, I began to understand their final destiny. Surely you will place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they all destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream when one awakes, so you will rise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion 
forever. Say that phrase, and my portion forever. Say that. And my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish and you'll destroy those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. Now, I want you to see he's not gloating nor is he rejoicing in the horrificness of what will happen. But there are two things that restore hope to him. And the first thing is perspective. Or if I can say it this way, if you're lost in a hill country, you get to a higher place and you begin to look down so that you can get a different view. He said, I began to get a perspective and I recognized they don't have it all going for them. Notice what he says. He said, they have a false sense of security. They're on slippery ground. And there's going to be a time where they're going to fall really hard. How suddenly they are destroyed. Now you may say, well, that sounds like gloating to me. No, because everybody falls hard. Do you know what? Your strength is enough to carry you through life until it's not. You've got all the answers until you don't. And I'll tell you right now, everybody will come to the place where their strength will not carry them. What you know will not be enough. Your experience will not be enough. And he began to understand. He says, you know, I realize something. They have a very perilous security. They're on slippery ground, but they also are going to fall hard. And then there was something that's very sad. He says, eternity will not be very kind to them. He says, when you arise, O Lord, you're going to despise them as fantasies. In other words, they're just going to be a figment of your imagination. You won't even remember them. And he said, you know, when I get that perspective, that helps me a little bit. I realize there's more days than today, and there's more going on than what just I see. There's there's a bigger picture that's out there. Years ago, I uh, was asked to be involved in a a very wealthy businessman, very successful businessman's uh, funeral. He was coming to the end of his life. I probably met him three or four months before he passed away, and he had a terminal illness and began to meet with him. He he really had nothing to do with the Lord, had no interest in the Lord, really had very little interest in church, church in general. But when I met him, he was very receptive, and we began to talk about spiritual things. And I probably visited him three or four times before he passed away. And we began to talk about funeral arrangements, and he asked me if I'd do his funeral. And I said, you know what, I'll gladly take care of that, but let's talk about where you are right now with the Lord. And began to talk to him about the Lord and You know, it's really interesting. I had a chance to share with him, pray with him, begin to talk about eternal things. I will say he struggled with this concept of forgiveness because he'd lived his whole life just disregarding the Lord. And now somehow in these final days of his life, could he really be forgiven? And remember at his funeral, I said, um, as I was talking, I was reading from Scripture, I said, listen, I'm going to be very honest. We all know he didn't have a, he didn't, he didn't want, he had very little use for churches and he had even less use for preachers. 
But let me tell you, when he came down to the end of his life, he started caring about those things a lot. Eternity has a way of pulling things into view and our vision, which can be scattered everywhere, begins to come into clarity when we realize those types of things. In many ways, he was given a gift because he got to see, he knew the end was coming. He had time to work on some things. Perspective. The other thing that held Asaph really strong were just promises. He had so many of them. Now, I know I filled in the blanks for you, but I just want you to see this. And I knew, I knew we would need to, to move fairly quickly, but look what he says. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was bitter, I was a senseless and ignorant. And I was, I was frank, frankly, I was a brute to you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me by your counsel. Afterwards, you're going to take me into glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Notice what I wrote down there in your notes. What do I have? God promises me his presence and his love. God promises to hold me by his right hand. God promises to guide me. He promises to deliver me. Afterwards, you're going to take me into glory. God promises his constant support. Who have I in heaven but you? And, and by the way, in earth, it has nothing I have that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love that phrase, my portion forever. I, I asked myself this week, I was studying this and putting it all together over the last two weeks. My portion, what does that mean? My portion equals whatever is missing. Whatever seems to be missing from my life, he fills. I'm grieving. He can bring joy. I've lost someone very precious to me. Scripture says to the one who has lost a father, he will be like a father or a parent. To one who has lost a spouse, he will be as a spouse. That's the Psalms. Man, I don't know where my next meal's coming from. He's my provision. And when my eyes are fixed in all this stuff, it has a way of bringing me down. But when I come into the Lord's presence and I focus on His promises and I get a little bit of perspective, it has a way of giving clarity. It really is worth it. Samuel Morrison was a missionary. I, I have read this story a number of times from different individuals, but um, Anne Graham Lotz was the last one that I saw. Samuel Morrison, back in the early 1900s, was a missionary in Africa. 25 years, 25 years that he served there. And it just so happened on his final journey back into New York, and then he was going to be going off to where he'd be retiring. He was on the same ship as uh, Teddy Roosevelt, president. 
And Teddy had been on an African safari, I think it was three, four weeks that he had been hunting. It took longer for the journey by ship. And it just so happened they were on the same ship and as they were pulling into New York Harbor, there was a celebration at the, the, the entryway there and people were cheering for the president and they had a big banner there, welcome Mr. President. And they had a band playing, you know, it was just kind of a cool thing. And Samuel testifies that in his heart, he's a little bitter. He said, Lord, under his breath, he said, I spent 25 years in Africa serving you. This guy's been shooting animals for three weeks. No parade, no band. Nobody even knows I'm coming in. And he said it was as clear as clear could be as a whisper of the Holy Spirit. And he said it was very gentle simply whispered into his ear, Samuel, you're not home yet. And there's going to be a day when we cross over where there's going to be the applause of heaven, as Max Lucado calls it, as the Lord looks at us and says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant, you made it. You're faithful, it was all worth it. Disneyland or eternity? He said it was worth it. Father, I pray today for all of us, but especially the ones who may be struggling, struggling because of what they're constantly or currently facing and others that perhaps in their they could identify with Asaph, said, man, it's more than my feet almost slipped. My, my, my foot slipped. I, I probably stepped over the cliff, but Lord, I'm so thankful that no matter where we are, you welcome us home. You always encourage us to turn our eyes and our hearts back towards you. You, you always encourage us to draw near to you. You really are our portion. For the one today who's perhaps suffering loss of some sort, I pray, Father, you'd be their portion exactly what they need. Thank you, Lord. We love you today. We cling to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.